This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, speaking of our union on Patreon, we need to thank a bunch of folks before we get into this episode who have joined us recently. We have a new Darren, Darren Lehman. That's our th- our third Darren. So many Darrens. We got all the like, Darrens. This is like be- Bewitched. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Way to pull that one we got, out. We got more Darrens than Bewitched. <laughs> they only had two, right? I think that's a Kanye lyric. <laughs> uh, welcome. Darren the third. Welcome. Darren the third. There you go. I like that. We're going to refer to each Darren by their, the, 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 when they joined. They're going to get a royal number. Uh, <laughs> welcome, David Gorgos, better known as Dirty Gert, joining us at the 1350 level. Thank you, David. Dirty Gert. Uh, he's been on with us before. I'm sure you can uh, find an episode where he's joined us in the past. Jay, yeah, what's at that David, 1350 level? I think David's been with us since season one. Yeah, basically. He's a lifer. Is that uh, is that where you get to? What, what's at the thirteen fifty level? I don't even know what the tiers are anymore. You get to pick a record. Oh yeah. Yep. Pick a record, and then also, Dewey Cole jumped up to the seven dollar level from two. Thank you very much. Helps put a little more money in the coffers. Lets us do some other cool things, and uh, he wanted to get the box reviews, which is a new new box letter. Our new box newsletter that goes out. It has weekly reviews. Uh, it's, you also get access. If you only want to join the box newsletter, you can get your bonus content there, like the recent 80s episode we did on The Descendants that is exclusive to our Patreon community and to our box community. Also, also, what am I thinking here? I just had a bug. Oh, he, he, he wanted to see if you uh, torched that new local H record or not. I ripped it so hard. <laughs> no, I didn't at all. It's a good record. It's a good record. You liked it. I was, yeah, I listened to that today. I did. You know what? And, um, you know, we've had multiple episodes on, on local H here. But we needed to talk about this episode. And one of our Darrens is joining us. I don't know if it's Darren 1 or Darren 2. I'd, we might have to have a fight over which one that is. I, I'll, I'll have to go back okay. into the records. Uh, Darren Leach is joining us from London. Welcome back, Darren. Thank you. Thank you. Now, last time you joined us, it was for UMI's Hi-Fi Way. That was a, a little over a year ago, or a little under a year ago. That was May of last year. Um, yes. And we forgot, Jay, when we were discussing albums that we had or bands that we had recorded two episodes on we forgot about umi we did hi-fi way and then the first year we did that's right a record by umi sound as ever probably sound as ever yeah interesting little note here darren you picked the band who are they i want you to introduce them what's the band you picked 
Uh, we are going to dissect the 1996 debut album from the Melbourne band Even. It's called Less Is More. Less Is More. Last week, we did the band Odds. Yeah. <laughs> totally random. That, that, that's how it worked out. Odds, then Even. Couldn't have planned that if we wanted to. Well, I mean, I guess we could have, but we, we didn't. So, I'm assuming you discovered this band back when you were living in Australia? I did, yes. I, I didn't come to London until, well, the first time. This is my third time here because I like it so much. Uh, I didn't come here until 2005. So, yes, 1996, well ingrained in Australia. Yeah. And these guys are from Melbourne. And can, do you know a little history about the band or, or any information you want to share? History of the band. Well, I was going to talk about how I discovered the band. Yes, yes. Um, I know they, they formed in... 1995, uh, there are three pieces. Uh, Ashley is the singer. Um, uh, oh, I can't remember the other guy's names. Matt, <laughs> Wally, Matt Cotter on player. drums and Wally Kempton yeah, on Wally. bass and backing vocal. I, I don't know how I forgot their names because they're, they're great guys and I've met them a few times. But I definitely would have discovered them through Triple J Radio. Um, obviously, listeners would have heard us Aussies mention Triple J before. But um, back in the 90s, you didn't have much else, you know, much choice if you wanted to listen to, like, quote-unquote, uh, alternate music. So Triple J had an amazing influence uh, in the music industry and on me, especially in the 90s. Uh, the 90s is when I really... I was 16 when, I, when it hit the 90s, so I was kind of at the right age for alternate rock and, like, Nirvana and grunge and all that kind of thing. Um uh they they were amazing for the, the local scene as well triple j they helped out you know they did, just didn't obviously play the the big singles the big bands they gave a lot of other smaller bands a go like like even for example uh because they they were in another couple of bands beforehand uh wally was in the meanies which was a completely different band to to even they were much heavier um, but Ashley wasn't really in much beforehand, so they got uh, they got a lot of play with this album. So, especially "Don't Wait" and "Stop and Go, Man." Um, the great thing about even is, uh, sorry, Triple J is they played a lot of Australian music. They played above industry quota, so you could go out to you'd hear bands and they'd probably uh, gig, you know, in one or two weeks' time. You know, or they'd have a tour. What I liked back then is most bands toured every two to three months. So when a new single was out, so yeah, and they play everywhere, not just the capital cities. So, and I suppose the last thing about even was um, they're nothing like the other bands at the time. You know that you had releases by Powderfinger, Silverchair, You Are My, Ammonia, Regurgitator, Magic Dirt. You know, Grinspoon, all these bands, but even was definitely a lot different to those guys so yeah so a little bit more history on the band they had two eps out before this in 1995 in stereo and then 10 to 46 out on rubber records slash shock records uh less is more came out in june of 96 and was reissued on vinyl in 19 uh, 2017 the producer on this record 
along with the band is Greg Wales. Jay, Greg also produced No Knife's album Fire in the City of Automatons, just as a uh, way to bring it back to uh, huh. a, a band that we're familiar with. Right. And, Not one I would necessarily associate with this sound, but okay. Nope. And um, so when this album came out, they, as you mentioned, they this they got quite a bit of publicity. They had three singles on Triple J. Um, they also were nominated for the ARIA Awards for Best Independent Release. They toured in the in Australia with um, President of the United States, the Posies, Ash, and Everclear on various tours, and then they did tour some in the United States and Europe in 1997. And they've been you know fairly active not every year but after this they had uh their sophomore album come again in 1998, uh in 2001 a different high, free kicks in 2004, the self-titled album in 2008, in another time in 2011 and satin returns in 2018 along with uh some compilation albums that came out in 96 2003 and 2013 of singles and eps and stuff and then they had uh a number of singles that have been out over the years so that and is about to release a new ep in may a four track uh ep yeah of this year yeah oh wow yeah, I, I just read it it's called return to satin so I could have play on the 98 album, uh, 2008 album. Well, we'll have to make sure we include that in our list for the year, Jay. I don't know if it's on there yet for the box. It is not. No, I had it. Boom. We got some comments on this record over at Patreon. Jeremy Amen said, haven't finished this one yet, but I like this band. Recently released an album called Satin Returns. The vocals seem to be a 50-50 mix of Cobain and Pollard. Interesting. Better EP for me, says Richard Waterman. Reminds me of Super Drag, Ammonia, and various other harder-edged power pop bands. Favorite songs are Stop and Go Man, Don't Wait, and Eternal Teen. I would be interested to hear Jay's opinion on the drummer and the drum sound. Not the greatest. Sorry. And and, <laughs> and someone from Dig Me Out responded, Oh, you'll get it. <laughs> I wonder who that is. I wonder who <laughs> Whitney Beeler said, I really enjoyed this, especially the first half. I did get the super drag feel from it, but also caught a posies breeze, a touch of strummy teenage fan club at times, too. I'm not in a place to be critical of drummers, but there were times when the drum seemed kind of hidden back in the mix. I thought there were some pretty pedestrian fills, too, but the songs were very melodic, and there weren't any that I wasn't at least okay with. There's more than an EP here, so I give... The worthy album rating. All right. Well, we get to the complete poll results when we get to the uh, our votes on this episode. So, Jay, I'm going to assume you were not familiar with this band before we reviewed it. You would assume correct. All right. So tell me one thing you liked about Less Is More by Even. I like the vocals quite a bit. I, I think the singer... Um, there's a lot of different references with this band throughout the record. Um that I hear and vocally I hear I hear Bob Pollard, I hear Kurt Cobain, but I also hear a little Robin Zander, I hear some John Lennon, I hear a little Scott Wheeland. So I think 
there's a lot of um, flexibility in how he sings and how he delivers, um, I think, which helps a lot of these songs quite a bit. Um, there's also some pretty good melodies um, and harmonies that happen in choruses that are um, pretty important to, to, I think, deliver as a pop record, which I think, for the most part, this, you know, adheres to a fairly standard 90s pop rock formula, um, which is fine. So I think the to me, the vocal is pretty important to make sure that that stays dynamic and, you know, and works throughout the record. So um, I like that a lot. I also like, in general, I like the production. Um, I think the guitars sound great. There's some really cool um, guitar tones on here, both acoustic and electric. Um, and mixing in between, sometimes you're not even sure. Um, but it's a pretty honest, you know, production overall in terms of, you know, it sounds like a band, um, not a ton of overdubbing or, you know, layers, um, pretty straightforward. Um, and I think that helps the vocals as well. Cause it really lets them pop forward. Um, you know, nothing from a performance standpoint, that's like amazing, but I think it's solid. Um, and I think it does a good job of focusing on what's, what does work well is, you know, the songwriting is, is solid and the singer, you know, is really capable in terms of this, especially in this format. And it really, uh, does a good job of just recognizing that and staying focused on those are the elements that this record's about. Um, so I appreciate that too. Like it knows what it is. Um, and it does its best to, from a production standpoint to, to deliver on that. So those are some things I liked. I agree with you. I actually think that the singer is more than solid. Like, I think he's got a pretty interesting range and he has the ability to inject some personality into some of these songs that other sing that remind me of a, a range of singers like you mentioned, but in lesser hands, this would be a little bit duller. Yeah. And I think of like a song like Don't or End to End is a good example, which has this very in between like Teenage Pan Club got mentioned, but then when you get to that chorus, it's very early Beatles John Lennon sounding vocal. fact that he can pull that off get that real raspy yelly kind of voice is one of the things i really liked there's a couple times where he does that where the you know the song is sort of in the middle ground and then he just kind of takes it over for a verse or a chorus or something like that and it really helps elevate the band a little bit higher than just sort of being middle of the road in terms of 
you know, there's nothing like groundbreaking musically. They just have them to put together everything in a really tight and for the most part, you know, really catchy way that recalls, you know, some of the, like I mentioned, some of the earlier Beatles, British Invasion stuff combined with some of the classic Teenage Fan Club or or Bob Pollard at his most like sort of polished and and less exper- least experimental where he's not like just sitting with a drum machine but actually fleshing out full songs um yep. and there is some nods to like american grunge or alternative with regards to Cobain and and Wyland but i feel like they work well because what they're playing song to song i feel like it ties together pretty cleanly there are some production choices that are a little odd at times but We'll get into those later. Darren, what clicked for you? What clicks for you best on this record? Um, I I just really like how it still sounds great today. You know, for me, production-wise, it holds up. Um, as I said, it doesn't sound like anything else released in 1996. Um, you know, like all the other Aussie bands I just mentioned. Um, uh, but I just like how it's not complicated. It's a three-piece rock band. No overdubs, as Jace mentioned, and all that. So me it's just beginning to end a good rock band you know a good rock album um i don't I, I can't say i listen to this religiously it's one of those albums i put on two to three times a year and i'm just happy you know i'm happy with that and i'll just i can let it be for six months so yeah uh, yeah um funny you tim mentioned uh, the beatles i know they're probably a very obvious band but uh, their second album like oh sorry ashley has mentioned how he how he loves uh the beatles and like kind of 60s pop um, but this, if you look at the cover of their second album, they based it on Rubber Soul. So that's how much he, he liked the Beatles. Oh, really? I've, I'll, I'll check that out. I did yeah. not. So uh... Four heads, four heads on, the, on that cover. Well, obviously there are three pieces. They just put their three heads kind of in the same position as Rubber Soul. So oh, okay. Yeah, I see it. Yeah. That's tidbit for you. Nice. Um. Yeah, I don't think, you know, there are other bands that really, really get into their Beatle influence. I don't feel like it's as blatant. You know, there's no. a, a, a homage to it in a way that's not as, you know, in the way some power pop bands will go full on, you know, uh, borrowing that Mellotron sound for <laughs> from from certain songs or what have you it's more just the feel of these certain tracks and mm. and his ability to sort of channel that that yelling john lennon vocal that other other artists have done i mean john davis from super drag does a really good job of that as well where he can kind of hit that and even greg dooley can can hit that from the wigs you know i'm thinking of like when they did the backbeat soundtrack like he's able to channel that sound and I, I thought it was interesting that they changed up the production a little bit throughout the record. So, like, on, I think it's Don't Wait. Is that the one where they split the yep. channels? Yes. Yeah. Peaches and Cream, they do it, too. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm kind of conflicted on that in terms of if it works on individual songs or if you need a whole record to be like that. Because I've heard other artists who are modern artists do that before, and I'm never sure like if I actually like it or not. Like I just sort of accept it. But I never know what I should 
let's talk about Don't Wait for a second, because I I like that song a lot. It's probably my favorite song on the record. Um, part of it is that production style. And I think what you're it's an odd choice to not commit to that for the whole record because just sonically it you need to orient yourself to that just that spatial right. concept, you know. It's like when you listen to those early Beatles records, you kind of need to get in that. Unless you're listening to them in mono, uh, if you listen to the stereo versions, you kind of need to settle into that because it's it can be just a little disorienting. Um, but so it's an odd choice to not commit to that for the whole record if you're going to do it. The other thing about it is that you you need to kind of record the songs to work that way. Like you can't just take any mix, rock mix, and then just pan it, you know, and in that way like and what we're talking about is you know the heart the drums are a hard pan to the right um vocals are a hard pan one direction guitars are another so you basically split everything everything goes to one channel or the other you don't have anything really in the middle um and i think it works on don't wait because of that acoustic guitar tone Mm -hmm. um and it has less of a um big rock overall just presentation so when you mix it like that to me you hit that sweet spot of what like what the beatles sound like right where it's you get some you know gnarly tones here and there but it's all meant to play off of each other so when you separate it it still holds together there's like not one instrument where in some of these songs where it's like okay you know it's like an oasis style production where it's really about those big open chords played on the guitar when you try to mix a song like that panned it becomes disorienting because you're like well the main instrument is like off on the right and now i'm confused like what i'm supposed to be listening to so i think don't wait does a good job because everything is complimentary um whereas i think peaches and cream it is more that like big guitar or big uh guitar chord oriented song so when you pan it i think it it's not as easy to follow it becomes distracting um, so I, honestly, I would have starting to get into things I don't like about the record. I would have loved to hear, hear them do the whole record, like don't wait, but really commit, not just from a production standpoint, but from also from a songwriting standpoint to say, like, how can we make more of the record work this way? Cause I think it would be even way more unique. Um, and really probably much closer to early Beatles, but you know, very distinct for 1996. Like no other record would have been approached that way, which, and I think they could have pulled it off. Yeah. I wonder what the, you know, what the reaction would have been because I can't think of any other records around that time that were committed to that level of production. Yeah. It's not easy to do. It was just not the thing that was happening. So like a kid who's in high school picking up this record, when they hear track five, they got to be like looking at their, headphones like is there something wrong with my headphones <laughs> like why is this mixed like this yeah if they even understand what like that's what's happening they're like pulling the cord out and putting it back in blowing on it trying to see if there's something <laughs> something <laughs> wrong with it because honestly i never picked up on that until i heard because all the beatles stuff that i had was all like remastered and in it was not mono it was like the cd remasters and stereo so it didn't sound it doesn't sound the same way as it's supposed to. Yeah, the old Beale stuff you can get either way. You can just get pure mono or you can get the 
stereo mono, which is what we're talking about. Right. Darren, was that something that you picked up on or that, that, that confounded you when you first heard it since you were younger? I, I really, uh, sorry, because I'm not in a band or anything like that. Um, production for me, if a song sounds good, I'll, I, li- I like it. I'll, li- I'll listen to the band, you know. Um, I honestly didn't pick that up, what you've just explained. Um, so even though I've had it for 20-something years, I just went, oh, that, that's interesting what you guys are talking about. So, <laughs> yeah. I, see, I just see Peaches and Cream as, uh, as just a very different song. Don't wait. That's it's just the it's a slower song. They decided not to, you know, put that fuzz guitar on it. So interesting. Yeah, I, mm, I, I did find Peaches and Cream an odd choice as a single. I still remember that, and I still think of that today because obviously it's really different. So obviously, Stop and Go Man and Don't Wait. I find them very similar, you know, in the same vein. And then Peaches and Cream, it's a bit slower. It's a bit longer. Uh, I think it's too long. That's probably about the only thing I could change on the album. I'm surprised they didn't say release Cosmic Flop or Eternal Teen. You know, it, it is a strong first half of the album. I, I, I'll admit that. I do want to mention in Eternal Teen, I love when they go to that. When is it? It's like about 1:30 into the song. Just it just the guitar just starts doing that bend. Mm. I'm just like rocking out. Yes, yes. Brilliant song. That to me is like where this band hits their sweet spot when they're just like channeling their energy into the up tempo stuff where it's a little more raucous. Because a lot of this does remind me of the Posies got brought up. And the, the Posies are a really good comparison because they are able to master the harmonies and they're doing some great harmonies on this record as well. But if you think about like the guitar stuff that sort of slips in and out of those Posey songs, they get some pretty like wild guitar things going on. Mm. And that's where the, it gets real meaty, and I really like that aspect of the posies. And in the same way that that, like, Frosting on the Beater is very front-heavy in terms of just catchy song after catchy song after catchy song. That's kind of the same way this is. Um, and I think that was the only thing I was looking for a little bit more on this record was just, like, letting those guitars a little bit go a little looser. I know, Jay, you were talking about sort of the opposite where – they would probably be dialing it down like on don't wait. I can go either way. I just want, I think I react better when they get out of like my favorite new term, like white bread territory, like generic in the middle ground. Like I, I would prefer to either go like eternal teen where it's 
uh, more of like a grungy garage rock feel, almost like The Vines was a band I thought of with that. And it sounds a little more unleashed and just aggressive. Or I like the stuff where um, it's like Don't Wait or even Way, which are, to me, I hear the replacements in that, like kind of that um, melodic guitar riffs, you know, riffs that are have a top line that the vocal plays off of, but they're not totally 100% in sync all the time. So you get this mm-hmm. cool contrast of like this vocal and top line guitar part that are a little ahead of things and this bass line and drums that are a little laid back and then you mix in, you know, str- strong melodies and, and pop songwriting and you kind of get into this replacements feel that has a little edge to it, which I, I like a lot. Um, so I would either want them to be in that space where it's, um, you know, about the song with a little bit of, you know, um, gruffness around it or push the tempos like stop and go man or eternal teen and maybe go, you know, just more aggressive. Um, that tends to be the things I like. And when they fall in the middle of that, like not quite sure, um, how loud they want to be versus how, you know, adhering to pop they want to be, I think that's where it, it, it's not bad. It just becomes a little, I don't know, just average, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I guess we should get into what, what didn't work then since we're started trans- transitioning into there. Yeah. I, in terms of the average stuff, which it can be within the same song too. Like some songs yeah. have like average parts and then they elevate yeah. for like the chorus and you're like, yeah. Whoa, that's a killer chorus. I wish the verse was up to par with that. Like that's, I don't think I agree with, I think it was Whitney said, there's not really a bad song. There are just some songs that I'm like, mm, I wish this one was a little bit different or Darren, like you mentioned with peaches and cream, like that's almost six minutes and I don't feel yeah. like it earns six minutes. It could have been four minutes and it would be just as good. Um, I, I, I agree. Yeah, there needs to be like a radio edit. You know, yeah. But I didn't, I, I know the drums got mentioned, Jay. Did you have issues with the drum sound or the playing? No, I, I had issues. No, I think they sound fine. Even the uh, like we talked about the the dual mono stuff on "Don't Wait" sounds to me good, like production wise. Right. I do think the performance is not great, and I don't mean like it's solid. Like he's on time. He's not like it's just generic. Like. No one understands me. It's just the most generic slappy drum beat. Um, it does nothing to help the song. You know, the best part of that song is the Bob Pollard esque verses. No one understands me, but I guess they never do. All the things that I'm into, you've yet to get into. Don't tell me that it's orange when I know that it's blue. The So I just don't find the drum performance and creativity to be to the point where it really, it doesn't do anything to help or hurt. It's just sort of in this middling ground of it's fine. And sometimes, 
and I don't mean like overplaying, but there's just like a lack of energy sometimes, I think, from the drum parts. Mm-hmm. Um, or a little spark of creativity here and there that just sometimes you don't even notice it. You're just like, oh, wow, this, I like this part. And when you, you know, kind of go into it, you realize, oh, the drummer's playing a little bit behind or he put this cool fill in or, you know, um, they're really pushing the tempo here. Just nothing, no, nothing ever happens drum wise on this record that's like stands out to you and says like, oh yeah, that's an important part of this band. Um, you know, and I kind of come back to, to me, it's really about the vocal capabilities and creativity and the, the songwriting for the most part. You, you know what it is? It's like he took the, the, the basics of what Ringo Starr did and then didn't expand upon it the way that Ringo yeah. Starr did. <laughs> or even like or without the quirky, like, I mean, Ringo Starr is a very quirky feel. Like, yeah. It's very difficult to play like he does. It's like a Charlie Watts kind of thing where it's like no other human can do it. So it lacks that little bit of like quirky charm, you know, it's just like yeah. the, the I, I, version of, of his playing that you would learn taking drum lessons. Yes. <laughs> like I, I completely get what you're saying. Like the drums are fine, but they have no like personality, I guess, to them the way yeah. that the guitar playing and the vocals do and the ba- and there's parts where the bass player, you know, shows up and does and does some interesting stuff there's parts where the the bass and the and the vocal melody lock in which are cool and i just wish the drums had just a little bit more going on they don't have to be pronounced in this sort of performance because it it's not something that requires you know a a jimmy chamberlain or anything like that but just knowing where like there there was easily a spot where they could do a breakdown with like a really interesting drum part yeah and it just it doesn't happen anywhere like that well here's here's what here's what's so important is that if you're going to be a three-piece and record adhering to that format all three people need to be bringing it <laughs> you know all there because there's a lot of there's a lot of space there and you got to yep. fill it in with with if nothing else just a sense of energy you know and i think three pieces that work really well there's enough space you can actually hear each individual person and realize like oh they're bringing something really important to the song whether it be feel or tech, technical ability or tone or something. And I just think with this, uh, the drum wise, it's just like, meh, it's the competent drummer. Okay. Right? But in a three piece, like you need somebody that's bringing something more than just competent. Right. And there are some other touches that he adds, like with tambourines and stuff, but it, it almost needed like a little bit more percussion in yeah. in terms of like little thoughtful touches that would have would have helped it go over the edge in terms of being average to to being something special. Yep. So I Darren, I know you you mostly said you're fine with this record other than peaches and cream being a little long. Was there anything else that uh didn't work for you or doesn't no, work? No, cuz I listened to it again today before this and I got I got to peaches and cream and went, "Oh, I've just listened to 12 tracks." I didn't find anything because you know sometimes you listen to albums you go hurry up hurry up get to the next song even though you've listened to the album several times you go yeah, yeah let's just get through this track but it was only peaches and cream for me i just because it's just that sort of monotonous slow drumming and it's like yeah that's the only one i was i was thinking yeah a bit long let's listen to it again and see how i feel so obviously i still feel the same way about that about that track but no like um i suppose because um, you guys haven't really listened to this album as much as I, as I have, I haven't really 
followed the band going forward. Like I've, I've listened to their albums, but nothing has really jumped out. Like the odd song has, which which is fine. But I, as I'm an albums guy, I prefer to listen to whole albums. So, but I haven't really kept up with the band after this. So maybe, maybe just the music wasn't exciting enough. Yeah, maybe the drumming. You know, um, I know on subsequent releases that the drumming didn't really change. You know, he hasn't he hasn't changed his style. So I think they rely on the 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 guitaring of of Ash Naylor really to drive the band. So maybe they just used all the good licks on the first album and and the odd song after that. So I'll, I've seen them many times afterwards because they're great live. So just buying buying subsequent albums. Yeah, I, I gave them a listen. I just wasn't really excited about them. Yeah, I can hear this working really well live. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very energetic live. You, you know, you play live, you play a little bit faster. Yeah. So I, I could hear a lot of these songs, you know, really cranking live in a way that yeah. would not come across necessarily on a record. So. And, and they'd always tour. Like, they'd always, I reckon once a year, they'd at least come to Adelaide. And it's like, yeah, cool. Even's playing. Of course I'm going to see them. You know, because they're always great, and even the songs that I may have not liked the the studio version live, it was great. I, I don't know if that if you think feel the same way of bands you like, where you go, yeah, the song's good. I won't listen to it, but if I see them live, it's great. You know, yeah, it's that it's that once a year. It's like, yeah, this is a good song, isn't it? But I'll just I'll hear it live. I'm happy with that. So I, I feel like there's a lot of bands that are not necessarily always well represented by their album material that they are. Yeah. I, I'd agree with that. They do a good job, but seeing them live, there's always a little bit more energy and there's more interaction that you can't replicate. You know, even people say that about some of our favorite bands that, that we like that, you know, like, like the Afghan Wigs, for example, is a good example. We, we talk about them a lot. I know people have listened to the records and been like, eh, that's, that's fine. I'm like, well, you got to see Greg Dooley live. Like seeing Greg Dooley yeah. live is something special. And that's a hard sell for, you know, a lot of different bands because it's not all about the, and I, I have a live performance in my head that I can sort of, you know, subconsciously re- return to. But I will say, I, I thought that in terms of, how this record is sequenced and how this record is how these songs are arranged and edited like they it's a really good job in terms of not going overboard uh, really until that last song like everything's pretty much where it should be lengthwise you know they got a couple songs like three songs that are under three minutes which is like perfect for this band to get those energetic songs done quickly and then there's a couple that are in the three minute range and a couple in the four minute range and i didn't really have any issue with regards to any of that stuff which can often happen with the cd era i mean this is prime cd era right here so they kept it pretty tight it's only 44 minutes so that's good on them (laughs) for for not (laughs) indulging in a 60 minute record because at 60 minutes this would have been really difficult i think to to keep the material as tight you would have had to have 17 18 songs to get to that and i think that just been too long for this style of music so unless you had a closing track that was like 25 minutes of jamming or something like that <laughs> oh god they're not sonic youth yeah right exactly 
So let's get into well first. Jay, they had a they did some minor touring in the U.S. I I would be hard pressed to pick out the what would be the exact single that would have made them stand out in U.S. radio. Like I could see maybe college radio picking up, like Stop and Go Man or Karmic Flop. Yeah, but th- I, this is a hard sell in 1995-96 for mainstream radio in the United States. Like even Matthew Sweet is no longer like a mainstream and the posies aren't, you know, maybe, well, maybe Matthew sweet is, what is this? Is this blue sky on Mars era for Matthew sweet? This is before, uh, in reverse. That's like 99, 98, something in there. So, but this is long after girlfriend and sick of myself. So I don't know where power pop is fitting in to mainstream radio. This is like third tier grunge era with, some minor hits from other bands. I could hear little red taxi if they, cause to me that, that lyrically even it had a, had a feel of what you would hear on American radio at that time, like a little bit of a novelty kind of lighthearted lyric with a, you know, grungy, like a power pop wrapped in a grungy presentation and a, like a approachable lyric was kind of the formula at the in the late 90s at that point. And I could have heard that maybe if it was punched up a little bit too and just a little bit sharper on the, the chorus um, having worked. But yeah, I mean, a lot of this is in... I don't think it's inconceivable that some of these songs could have been pushed. It's just a matter of, you know, was somebody going to push it? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think so. Yeah. So let's get to our ratings. We're the album Better EP Decent Single. We'll give our ratings and then we'll share the ratings from Patreon. Gee, where do you land? We're the album Better EP or Decent Single? I land at um, an EP, Better EP. So I've got Karmic Flop, Stop and Go Man, Don't Wait, Eternal Teen, and Way. You know, I think what holds me back from a full record is just those are the really the songs to me that that stand out, and the others are just in the middle. You know, that are just like okay. And I think to be a worthy album, I need you know the majority of them to be above average. And uh, I've only got about, like I said, five five or so songs that are to me above average. Hmm. I'm at a worthy record. I'd be about nine songs because I like. End to end. Um, did you include Dean Morris? No, no. I like that track. That, that's I where like I those... had the the drums being super plotty. Like they're yeah, just. I just love those harmonies. Yeah, that's just. I mean, it's got. It's like a cross between like a more up tempo Jayhawks and and some posies and. The birds and I mean, there's just some great stuff yeah. going on in that record and in that song. So I'm well, I'm probably about nine songs for this, which would be a nice little album. Darren, I'm I'm gonna guess you're at a worthy album. Yes, I, <laughs> I, you chose wisely. Yes, um, I understand what what Jace is saying. Um, see, I like comic flop. I like how it you know really it's a good punch in the face to start the album. But then it goes down a little bit for no one no one understands me. Yeah, I don't think it's uh, as good a track. But then you get into Stop and Go Man, so it's like, oh, good. So it's not, 
you know, some there are some, I don't want to say dull tracks, but they're just not as good as, say, the singles. But for me, I like the sequencing. So it's like, oh, yeah, that's a good song. Oh, that's not as good, but it's still a good album cut. And then you get into another single. So that's that's why I think the sequencing is great. Um, and it spreads the good songs around. So um, maybe Weather King I'd, I'd drop if I really had to, you know, be uh, be picky and definitely cut down uh, Peaches and Cream. But uh, apart from that, no, I'm I'm happy I'm happy with it. Um, there's a little little bit of trivia here, but um, in June 2008, less less is more was voted number 30 of the greatest album Australian albums of all time in a uh, poll with the Age, which is a Sydney newspaper readers. Uh, there you go. Obviously, uh, there's bands like In Excess and Minot Oil and ACDC, etc. In there, so wow. Yeah, I would imagine that this is an album that aged well because the production is pretty solid. It's not stamped to the 90s. The sound of the band is fairly timeless in terms of incorporating, you know, 60, sounds from the 60s and, and 70s power pop and a little bit of 90s alternative. It's got a nice stew of things happening. So I can see that happening where it would end up in a best of poll. Mm, mm. And... It ended up uh, that Darren and I were right. It is a worthy album according to our patron votes. Sorry, Jay. 60% worthy album, 20% better EP, and 20% decent single. So worthy album wins the day for less is more by even. Darren, thanks for bringing this to us. Another Australian band we had no idea existed, and now we are better for learning that they did <laughs> exist <laughs> want to remind everyone if you would like to pick a record for review like darren did you can join us over at patreon.com by going to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com be like darren or be like uh, dirty gert who just joined us and you also get access to our polls that help us pick our 80s episodes that we mentioned earlier in the show and our round tables and extra content from our box review, our box newsletter, which includes new reviews as well as our uh, new release calendar that we keep updated and all stuff that's coming out from the 80s and 90s that's relevant to the show. And then, of course, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. Thanks again, Darren, for joining us. Thank you, guys. And for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com.